Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa and by Stuart Weir. And on this week's show, we find out more about the inaugural African Football League, with the draw taking place this weekend. Also, we hear from Nigeria and Nottingham Forest forward Tayo Awani on his football and his faith. Last weekend, Awani became the third African player in Premier League history to score in seven consecutive matches with a brilliant goal against Manchester United. It's just, for me, a testimony of God is always with you. God is always with you. Once you keep on doing your best, keep on giving your best, at the end of the day, even if no one is seeing it, even no one is appreciating it, one day for sure it will show up. That's coming up later. Also, we ask what we can expect from Ghana's Mohamed Kudus with his move to West Ham and from Brighton's young African players Simon Adingra and Carlos Baleba. And Stuart looks ahead to the weekend's English Premier League action and gives us an update on the Saudi Pro League. So it's a really packed show this week. Let's start with the CAF Champions League as the first round was completed last weekend. A big shock as two-time champions Enyimba of Nigeria lost four. 4-3 on aggregate to Al-Athli Benghazi of Libya. Also going out to 1973 champions AS Vita of DR Congo. They were knocked out by Primero Augusto of Angola who won 2-1 on aggregate. Uh, former champions going through are Asik Mimosas of Ivory Coast and Etoile du Sahel of Tunisia. In other ties, Power Dynamos of Zambia beat Namibia's African stars on away goals after it was 2-2 on aggregate and also going through Bow Rangers of Sierra Leone. Second round ties start in two weeks' time. So that's the CAF Champions League, and meanwhile, the draw for the inaugural African Football League takes place this Saturday, with the competition taking place in October and November. So after a couple of years of speculation and questions, it's now become clear as to how the competition will work. Initially known as the African Super League, it has rebranded as the African Football League, although this first edition is not a league but a knockout competition, Ida. Right, Steve. So we do know that it will run alongside the CAF Champions League and the CAF Confederation Cup. All fixtures, including the final, will be on a home and away basis. The competition starts at the quarterfinal stage, naturally, of course, with it having eight teams, and the tournament will take four weeks. The opening ceremony and the first match will be on 20th October, and that will be in Salaam, Tanzania. Steve, we still don't know, however, exactly how CAF will finance this. Hopefully, details on possible sponsorships, broadcast deals are released during the draw because the Confederation is still recovering from a loss of over $15 million and that was posted for the last financial year. But you know, all in all, one can't imagine them going back to their coffers for this, you know, also seeing as it's a FIFA-backed project. Prize money as well, very important. Remember, this was initially a $100 million prize money league, and I'm sure that's since changed. Steve, in CAF's original plan, the tournament was going to have 24 teams from 16 countries. 
Each team would get an initial $2.5 million for participation. The winner would ultimately get $11.6 million. Now, these are very big numbers. And I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to dream big, but do it with a plan. One thing's for sure, though. We finally know the teams taking part. They broke the selection down to represent three parts of Africa. The Southeast region will have Mamelodi Sundowns from South Africa, owned, of course, by the family of CAF President Motsepe, Angola's Petro Atletico, and Tanzania's Simba Sports Club. The Central West region will have Nigeria's Enyimba and the DRC's TP Mazembe. And the North will have Weedad Casablanca of Morocco and Esperance of Tunisia, as well as Al Ali of Egypt, because, Steve, after all, what is a premier African club football tournament without the African team of the century? (laughs) But as this is the case, then the CAF Champions League will undoubtedly be robbed of its quality. Prior to this, many had speculated that it would be Guinea's Horoya, you know, and not Nigeria's Enyimba included. So that did surprise some. Yes, the choice of the eight teams was always going to be controversial, but plans are for it to be bigger next season, Ida. Steve, Kaf says that this inaugural edition featuring eight teams is, and I quote, a precursor to the fully-fledged AFL competition that will feature the 24 highest-ranked football clubs on the African continent and will commence during the 2024 25 football season. And well, I don't know if this is the Federation simply trying to save face on their original plan, which clearly didn't go through. Either way, I also want to focus on the rebranding, which speaks volumes. Yes, of course, they didn't want to be associated with Infantino's failed European Super League, hence the name change. But that change from African Super League down to African Football League, to me at least, is also symbolic of the reduction in the number of teams. Because if it did indeed go through with the original idea of 24, then for sure, that really was going to be the jumbo-sized Super League. But I think CAF, in its introduction of this competition, definitely bit off more than it could chew. But let's see how the expansion goes in subsequent seasons. However, CAF could do with a publicity team. (laughs) But in all fairness, this administration does look like, you know, it has a bit more direction than the last. But also the bar had been set so low, you know. Let's just hope that any future expansion will be organized better because the fact that even by July this year, Steve, when CAF held its General Assembly in Abidjan, that was three months to kick off, by the way, that it still had not named the eight teams involved in this first edition and that the larger masses were still operating on guesswork and speculation, that wasn't the best. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Ida. And there will be many more developments on this story, no doubt. 
Well, let's talk English Premier League now here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. And last weekend, Nigeria's Taiwo Awani became the third African player in Premier League history to score in seven consecutive matches with a brilliant goal on the break against Manchester United. Emmanuel Adebayor and Mohamed Salah are the other Africans to have scored in seven games in a row in England. Well, Awani had a long wait for his big chance to get into the Premier League. He spent six years on the books of Liverpool, but was loaned out to seven clubs and never played for the Reds. He was loaned to clubs in Germany, the Netherlands and Belgium, and then went to Union Berlin in Germany, and then was signed by newly promoted Nottingham Forest a year or so ago, ahead of the start of last season. Well, Planet Sport Football Africa's Olawashina Okaleji spoke to Awani at that time last year when he'd had two great seasons at Union Berlin. And Shina first asked how difficult it was to leave a club playing Europa League football for a team that were newcomers in the Premier League. Uh, looking at Union Berlin, I think this is a place that I was uh, uh, I felt welcome. And living is something that I would say is very, very hard. But in life, life is a journey. And I believe every journey like is destined by God. Football is just something that on the outside world is very, very difficult to explain. I will, I will put it that way. But I think uh, coming to the Premier League has always been my dream. And looking at Union Berlin, living is very, very hard as well. Well, you've had an interesting career that has taken you from amateur football via World Cup on the 17, you know, Liverpool multiple loan deals, frustration and all that. How hard and tough is it for a young player from Africa to survive all of this, knowing that a lot of young Africans are looking to follow in your footsteps? Well, for me, I would just, I would still say all, all glory to God. Because the best thing you can do is just try. It is God that can of the effort. But one thing I always say to myself is this. When I was in secondary school, one of our teachers used to say, "Had I know, the best you can do for yourself is that word, had I know, don't let it get into you. Just try your best so that at the end, you will be like, yes, I did my best. Then maybe if it doesn't show up, that doesn't mean you didn't try. But at least just give it a try. I think that's all about my journey. Looking from how I started from Lauren, from my from Unicorn Academy to Imperial Academy to Liverpool to all the loans. It's just, for me, a testimony of God is always with you. God is always with you. Once you keep on doing your best, keep on giving your best, at the end of the day, even if no one is seeing it, even no one is appreciating it, one day for sure it will show up. And the last season with this kind of move is just a testament of what God can do and what your hard work and dedication and also in everything you believe in yourself and that's how I see it for me and if everyone can just believe in what they do they can just keep on going I believe the sky will always be the starting point and of course it's not over the journey just started I mean you haven't eaten the fact that you're a Christian a strong believer and I mean we saw you when you were signing your contract with Nottingham Forest you know with the worship praise and worship song I mean, what difference does Jesus make in your life as a professional footballer? Well, for me, I would say, even apart from my career, that's the most important thing in my life. 
Though I'm not, I'm not saying I'm the most holy or most perfect Christian or an individual. I have my flaws. But my faith and my belief in God and my religion is the most important thing, which nothing in this world can take it away from me. And uh, when we look at the moment, why I say that is, I was born into a Christian family. I was born in the church. And my dad and my parents, they make me to understand, like, with God, all things are possible. And I have to wake up every morning, say my prayers, go to church every Sunday during the week. So it's part of my life. And during my course of my career, looking at where I come from, from the city of Illori, knowing nobody in the national team, knowing no one, I just knew that I got called to the under-15. And since then, I've always striving for success. And all my prayer, like, during me working my to training, I would just get tired. I would just find myself kneeling down the road, like, praying to God, like, you see all this stress I'm going through. I just believe you, you hope there seeing me. I, I hope one day you can make this dream of mine come true. And seeing me now, he's telling me like, he hears all my prayer back then. And I have a moment like, during the course of the game, when the games are really difficult, I would just go to the toilet, say a little prayer and uh, I will use an instant, like, I think last season against Mines, uh, first half I was really adding my chance, but I was not scoring. Then I knew, like, second half I was even thinking maybe the coach would put, him out, put me out of the game. I just went to the toilet. I was like, I say a little prayer, like, I just got, I just hope you just come true for me in this game. And before you know it, second half of the game, bam, bam, two goals. So that's, those are testimony telling me there is someone watching over everyone. And that cannot be taken away from me. And that's why I said religion and my faith in God is the most important thing in my life. Even though I'm not the perfect Christian, like I said earlier. But just believe that there is someone up there watching over all the universe. Well, amazing stories there from Nigeria and Nottingham Forest forward Taiwo Awani, who says he used to get so tired walking far to training that he'd lie down by the roadside to recover, and now he's an English Premier League star. He was talking to Planet Sport Football Africa's Oloashina Okaleji, that interview from our archive from a year or so ago when he just moved to Nottingham Forest. Well, I'm joined now by African football expert Solis Chukwu in Lagos in Nigeria. So six years on the books of Liverpool, but loaned out to seven clubs and never playing for the Reds. Uh, but uh, Awani is looking such a good player for the English Premier League with his strength and his speed, Solis. Yeah, absolutely, Steve. Tawani is looking just tailor-made for the Premier League at the moment. And that's sort of an assessment you could have made just looking at his physical composition and his style. Obviously, like you say, he's exceptionally quick, very strong. But, you know, even in addition to that, he's great at holding the ball up. He runs the channels really well. And he's um, the kind of player who is quick on the uptake, very humble, very respectful, always listening to the coach. And you can see that in terms of the way he's grown. I mean, this is someone who was a, in a way, a prodigy, you know, coming out of that Nigeria 2013 on the 17th World Cup winning squad. So there was a lot expected of him and a lot of clubs came in for his signature. Ultimately, Liverpool won the race, but 
you kind of get the sense that they weren't quite sure what they were buying and the reality was a little different from what they expected so you know there were a couple of loan uh, moves away from the club to sort of for the player sort of find himself to sort of build his style and get a sense of what exactly he does um as a player and now we are seeing something close to the finished product Tawawoni uh, will never be the most refined center forward you will find um but he like i said he learns very quickly he shoots early and often you know even at the expense sometimes of getting a clean connection but you see that it catches goalkeepers out a lot because they're not expecting it and Nottingham Forest are pretty much the perfect superstar vehicle for a player like him. They're a team that likes to defend deep, so they need a center forward who can hold the ball up, who can run the channels, who can chase lost causes. And in Taiwan, they have pretty much the perfect archetype for that, um, for that profile that they need. So based on that, we're seeing Awoni really blossom, really grow, really spread his wings, as it were, in the Premier League. But to see him score so consistently over a number of games like this is a bit of a surprise, even for me. Even for most people who've known Awoni, Awoni has always been, you know, a reliable goal scorer without necessarily being a, one who can put together long runs like this so this just suggests that there's a um a new level a new a new step in his development that he's taken and you know more power to him it's really really um invigorating to watch yeah it really is exciting watching taiwo awani and on social media this week asking for your thoughts what do you think awani can achieve in the english premier league uh, so he became the third african player in premier league history to score in seven games in a row with his great goal against manchester united last weekend so what do you think awani can achieve in the english premier league you can go to our facebook page planet sport football africa and post a comment there or send us a whatsapp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero that's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero what do you think taiwo awani can achieve in the english premier league and uh, focusing on a few other Africans in the Premier League now, uh, Ghana's Mohamed Kudus joining West Ham looks really interesting, Solis. I'll tell you what, never mind interesting. I think West Ham have pulled off an amazing coup here. Look, Mohamed Kudus is, you know, a fantastic player, someone a lot of clubs have been interested in. We saw, we saw links to Arsenal earlier in the transfer window. We saw links to Brighton and ultimately he's elected to join West Ham. They won the race. That is a huge statement of intent from um David Moyes' side for the Ghanaian International and look a lot of people are skeptical about this move to be honest um the flavor of the conversation coming out of the streets of Accra and Kumasi is that this is a bit of an underwhelming one for Mohamed Kudus um like it's it's sort of understandable when you're linked to clubs like Arsenal and Brighton to then go to West Ham seems like a bit of a downer um, so a lot of people are expecting him to go to a more high-profile club, you know, challenging at the top of the table in the Premier League or maybe even in La Liga, to be honest. But I think if you consider the kind of player Mohamed Kudus is, this is a move that should not really um, affect his productivity in a significant way. Uh, look at what Kudus is good at. He's a great ball carrier. He's someone who is very off the cuff, has a lot of flair, you know, likes to break a game loose. That's really what he's good at. And looking at the way West Ham play, they're a team that likes to sit deep, they like to counter-attack. You know, obviously playing in a more possession-heavy team, we could have seen a situation where Kudus would um, round out some of the things he's not quite good at, you know, such as 
you know, past election decision making and all of that stuff. But I think going to West Ham, West Ham is the kind of club that will immediately start using the attributes that he does have to the fullest. So instead of having an adaptation period with the club like Manchester City or Arsenal who play a more positional style, the ability to play in a deep structure and break out like that with pace is something that Kudus is excellent at. And I think West Ham are the perfect club to take advantage of that. Well, so it could be a great move, a great choice for Mohamed Kudus at West Ham. And Brighton continue to make great signings. Uh, the 21-year-old Ivorian winger Simon Adingra scored on his debut a couple of weeks ago. And 19-year-old Cameroonian Carlos Baleba was signed this past Tuesday. I think these two moves really illustrate what Brighton are great at. Brighton have been... Um, the fascination of all of the football world over the last couple of years just for the ability to you know buy players on the cheap and really flip them for large amounts of money and you know everyone keeps going oh their scouting is really amazing you know a lot of the players they sign are not so much unknown it's just that Brighton are they are structured in such a way that they take chances on players maybe from out of the way, you know, compared to where other teams sign from. And they give them the best environment to succeed. And that's what we are seeing with Simon Adingra. Last season, he was away on loan. Now he's back. You know, there's there's a space in the squad for him to deputize the solid match on the right of the Brighton attack. And he's taken up that gauntlet. Obviously, he won't start every week. But he's starting to show what he's capable of. And the club just have such a clear succession plan, such a clear um, blueprint for bringing players through. And um, Carlos Baleba is the latest in that sort of um, that sort of framework. Baleba is obviously coming in to replace Moises Caicedo, another who they got um, from Ecuador and they flipped for a ridiculous amount of money to Chelsea. Baleba comes in, you know, to fill that void. He's someone who hasn't actually played in Europe for all that long. You know, he spent you know just a year at Lille, and he's already you know starting to show some of that potential that Brighton are eager to tap into so they brought him in to replace Moses Caicedo and you know knowing how Brighton do you know and how that there's already a, a hole in the squad for him to fill it's only a matter of time I think we could be looking at the next um, hundred million plus uh, pound midfielder coming out of Brighton in like two years now um, so this is something they do really well they bring these players from you know out of the way from leagues that maybe people disregard or you know are not too sure about and they give them the best opportunity to succeed like we know africa is a hotbed of talent at the moment in scouting circles there's a lot of excitement about what's going on in africa and seeing brighton tap into that market way before a lot of other clubs are able to do is just it just goes to show what they are trying to achieve and what has been at the root of their recent success Yes, very impressive recruitment from Brighton, who on Thursday got the services of Spain forward Ansu Fati, uh, who's completed a season-long move to the Seagulls from Barcelona. Uh, two years ago, Fati, who's 20 now, was the most exciting youngster in world football. Uh, Fati was born in Guinea-Bissau, but chose to represent Spain and was in their World Cup squad last year. Well, thanks very much to Solis Chuku in Lagos in Nigeria. This is Planet Sport Football Africa brought to you by Passion for Sport. You can follow us on Twitter or X at Planet Sport FA. And our website is planetsport.tv. We've got a new blog up there on the Women's World Cup called Being Human, 
making mistakes, receiving forgiveness. It's on England star player Lauren James stamping on Nigeria's Michelle Alozi. That's on our website, planetsport.tv, and you go to the blog section there. Well, now let's go to our European football expert, Stuart Weir, in the UK. And before we talk English Premier League, uh, we continue to get interesting stories on the Saudi Arabia League, Stuart. Well, Steve, I can tell you that Al-Itihad Jeddah is the top of the league table with four wins and four games. And they have got Fabinho and Golokante and Benzema. And they have all played in the three games with Benzema getting his first goal. And in second place, we've got Al-Hilal. And they've got Mitrovic, who scored in his first game, Ruben Neves. They've also got Neymar and Koulibaly, but they have not yet played. And then in third place, Al-Akhli, three wins out of three, with Edward Mendy in goal, Frank Kessia uh, from Ivory Coast, who's played for Milan and Barcelona, Riyad Mahrez, He's played and scored, and Bobby Firmino. Al Nassar, Ronaldo's club. Well, uh, Ronaldo has played twice and scored three goals, and Sadio Mane, his new teammate, has scored three goals in three games. But they're still in the bottom half of the league table. And our old friend Odian Igalo is playing at Al Wehda, but he's only managed one sub appearance so far. And I need to tell you about. Damak, they have got six Africans in their team, three Algerians, a Gambian, Cameroon, Nigeria, but they've yet to win a game. But one thing that has struck me, looking at all the big stars coming in, is that the number of Africans who have been playing there for years, uh, let me just mention uh, a few of those. Um, there's Abu Razek Hamdala from Morocco. Now, he's been there for six years. Leandra Tawamba from Cameroon in his sixth season as well. Saad Begur from Tunisia, five years. And of course, Knowledge Masuna from Zimbabwe in his third season, having played a lot in Belgium. And you know, it's interesting that there are these players who weren't getting any publicity until all the others started arriving. But one thing which is really striking about the Saudi Arabian League is the disparity in attendances. For example, when Alfina played away to Al-Hilal, there was a crowd of 59,000. But when Alfina played their next game, a home game, there were 465 spectators. Six of the 18 clubs have yet to attract more than 3,000 spectators, and only about four clubs are getting more than 20,000. So, great disparity. And I can't help wondering about Stephen Gerrard and his captain, Jordan Henderson, used to those rocking nights in the Premier League and Champions League at Anfield. And yet they are playing successive games in Saudi in front of 4,000 and 2,000 people. And Al Nassar, who started the trend by paying millions to Ronaldo, are certainly not funding his salary from attendances of 20,000. And I was also thinking about Fashion Sakala, used to playing in front of 40,000 passionate Glasgow Rangers fans while well, he played in that game with 465 present. 
Overall, I would say you cannot doubt Saudi Arabia's success in attracting players, nor that the players are doing well financially out of it. But I cannot believe that playing in front of a few hundred spectators in any way compares with the Champions League or one of the top European leagues. The Saudi Arabian League, I think, has a long way to go before attaining its goal of being one of the leading football nations, if they can ever do that. Yeah, well, that's very, very interesting. So growth, but uh, still a long way to go uh, in Saudi Arabia. Well, English Premier League, uh, match day four this weekend and a huge fixture, Stuart. Arsenal, Manchester United. I don't know whether it's coincidence, but the computer seems to be throwing up top game after top game. With Arsenal starting with two wins and a draw and Manchester United two wins and a defeat, it's a really important game for both teams. And there's an equally big game at the bottom, Sheffield United at home to Everton, the only two clubs which have played three and lost three. Manchester City are top of the league but only just. It took an 88th minute winner to secure the three points against newly promoted Sheffield United. What makes these games particularly significant is that there's an international break of 13 days uh, after this coming weekend. At this midweek, we've had the first round of the Carabao Cup, or the League Cup, as we like to call it. And Fulham drew 1-1 with Tottenham, winning the penalty shootout 5-3. And this is a really disastrous result for Tottenham. Yes, as Spurs not playing in Europe this season, so losing a chance to win a trophy in the EFL Cup. Well, thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, that's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers in Zimbabwe, from Stuart Weir and from Ida Waringa, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.